yes, we have to do these really innovative and interesting things in our cities, but they also need to work from a market point of view. If not, they're not going to happen. Welcome to The Wagon Live. Today we're listening to Vincent Charles Hodder. Vincent is the co-founder and CEO of Local Logic, a software company that provides brokerages with a new and innovative approach in using lifestyle-based data to attract and convert more buyers in their given market. He's passionate about cities, tech, and how they can work together to change the way we live. Before starting Local Logic, he was in real estate development and has a background in finance and urban planning. Enjoy! Hi everyone, my name is Vincent, I'm co-founder and CEO of Logic. Um, so I have a background in finance, urban planning, and then decided to do this crazy thing, which is a startup, um, about four years ago. If you don't mind, before we dive into the company and how you start this journey, uh, we can take a bit of a step back. You mentioned you started in finance, so that's kind of the beginning of your educational background. Can you talk about why finance how did that help you moving forward? And if you used it in your entrepreneurial journey? I think I wanted to go in business um, from a young age. I didn't really know what about business interested me or why I wanted to go in business. didn't have a specific thing in mind, but it felt like the natural fit for me. Um, so I went to HSC and then decided that finance was the right uh, path for me. And, and the reason why is because I really was interested by real estate and wanted to work in real estate development. And I figured that finance was the best way for me to get there. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so I did finance and then I did a CFA afterwards, thinking that if I had a bachelor's in finance, it wasn't really any title or anything. So I wanted to do, um, didn't really want to do a master's degree at that point, but wanted some sort of accreditation or certification. So I decided to do a CFA. Ended up doing um, my first exam, passed that, and then was working on the second one, and then realized that I really didn't want to do a CFA. Um, I didn't want to work in finance. It wasn't really all that interesting for me, but real estate was still really something that I was passionate about and I wanted to work in. Um, and it felt like a really weird way to get to real estate by doing a CFA and working working in finance. So I decided to do a master's degree. And, and that's, is that where, yeah. So that's when you decided to do a master's degree in urban planning at McGill University, right? So yeah. you mentioned real estate. Is that, was that the big motivation behind why you decided to transition? Or like what, what was going through your mind? And Yeah, so I knew I wanted to work in real estate. Um, I knew I wanted to, to do something with real estate development. Um, and I figured that kind of, you know, if I wanted to learn about the market, well, the best way to do that was to understand how cities worked. And the rationale was that if I was going to do urban planning, well, maybe I would have this insight on how cities would work. And then I could kind of find, source these opportunities that other people overlooked and would, would be able to invest money and do a development in a different way. Um, by having that insight. And then the other big motivating factor is that I think there's three people in my family that are urban planners, including my dad. Um, so kind of, it was, it was an automatic fit of, you know, you should do this and it totally makes sense. I think he just wanted me to be an urban planner, but anyways, I didn't end up doing that. Um, but I really came to the McGill's, McGill's program in urban planning with that finance perspective, which was super, super interesting. And one of the things about the way the urban planning program at McGill works is that it's a very small cohort of, I think we're 20 students, and there's applicants from around the world. There's hundreds of people that apply every year, and they take people with really different backgrounds and different life experiences, and they put, put all these people in a room, and you kind of have to debate these things about cities and how they should be thought about, how they should be developed, which made for really, really exciting and interesting um, conversations, and I think I always brought that finance real-world, real-market perspective to these conversations, which 
a lot of people kind of saw me as the the weird capitalist, but I think it, it kind of brought me back after HSC and doing a bachelor's in finance, it kind of brought me back to kind of more of more of that center perspective on, yes, we have to do these really innovative and interesting things in our cities, but they also need to work from a market point of view. If not, they're not going to happen. Um, and so I think that's kind of the philosophy that we had starting Local Logic afterwards, saying let's make the most information available to the most amount of people, which will enable us to make really innovative and smart and interesting projects and initiatives in our cities, um, but that also fit kind of the real world constraints that exist today. So you mentioned a really interesting point. You said most of your family were urban planners, mm -hmm. and it seems like when people do urban planning in McGill, you, and I re, if I recall correctly, I read an article, you said, I could have just got a job as an urban planner yeah. for the city of Montreal. So I think it's like super relevant for people here. What, like, what really was the key motivator behind, okay, I'm going to start a company, and why not just go and get that job as an urban planner? Yeah, well, I mean, so we're four co-founders. Three of them were in the program in McGill, and then the fourth, which is somewhere here, right over there, um, joined about a year later. And all of us have these weird eccentric backgrounds. So I have a background in finance, went to urban planning. Gab has a background in uh, econometrics and um, in sustainable development, and then went to urban planning. Colin had a background in programming um, out of Vancouver, and then did a master's degree in the UK in creative writing, and then went to do urban planning. And then Alex has a background in music, and then went and did programming. So it's kind of all these weird different perspectives. Um, and this, so the strength of the program at McGill is that these different perspectives come up with really innovative uh, uh, ideas and solutions to problems that exist. And it's kind of the same thing that we're, we're attacking a totally different problem from our expertise, but with the perspective of our education, kind of what we've thought about. And so what was interesting is that, and this actually happened, um, we were at McGill, the three of us, and we sat around a table and we're like, you know, we had this idea of a company, it seemed interesting. And back then it was called the Real Estate Key, which is a horrible name. Um, but essentially it was kind of like, hey, what if you could buy a home online? Um, and all of that process was automated through services and affiliate businesses would be plugged in. Um, wouldn't that be really awesome? And wouldn't that change the way that people think about buying a house? And as urban planners, we figured one of the biggest problems with cities is that people aren't choosing where they live in an optimal fashion. So, and the reason why they're doing that is because we believe they don't have access to the right information to make the best call. So for example, you know, you'll live in a suburb because it's cheaper, but it's going to be really, and, and you'll be able to quantify that, but it's going to be really hard to understand the amount of time you'll spend in traffic, the effect on your health, um, the effect, or the, the, the difficulty you'll have getting shops and services nearby, the types of lifestyle that you'd, you'd be able to have in a more urban context. And for some people that's okay, but making that calculation is really hard because that information is just not available. And so we said, you know, we can go and get a job as urban planners, and I think two out of the three had interviews lined up. And we said, that would be great. You could go work for the city of Montreal, which would be awesome, and you would have potentially impact on certain initiatives within the city, which would be interesting. Or you could do this, and it probably won't work, but we could have the potential of impacting, you know, thousands of cities across the world and impacting millions of people and potentially having an impact on how cities are being used and, and how they're being developed to better represent the needs of those citizens. And wouldn't that be awesome? And, you know, might as well do it because if we're not doing it now, we'll never do it. And so we had that conversation and then we said, okay, you know, 
screw it, let's go, let's, let's go for it and let's, let's give it a try. And that mentality has kind of perpetuated for years afterwards. And I think we're still in that mentality of, wouldn't that be awesome? And let's just try it because we're here and we've done this already. And I want to like, talk about all this because that's like the heart of the company yeah. and you know, data science and the mix with urban planning. But some, I know some of my colleagues here are wondering, you know, how do you find co-founders? So you said they're, they're from, some of them from, from McGill. But really, what was the click? Or like, how do you know it's a match? And if some of them were not from McGill, how did you meet them? No, it's an interesting conversation. And I think, I think it's really hard. The thing that's hard about it is that, anyways, in my experience, in our experience, it was, it was kind of organic. It, was, it kind of made sense at the time. And it wasn't like, hey, do you want to start a business? Okay, let's sit down and find an idea. It was very much like, hey, we're doing this. We might as well. And I mean, like, <clears throat> for background, I had, Gab and I had started a consulting business in real estate while we were doing like the first year of the master's degree and we had no idea what we were doing, but we were just pitching big companies. We ended up doing a redevelopment plan for 2.5 million square feet uh, for, that was owned by Brookfield Financial by us just going out and pitching them and saying, hey, we could do this. And then we did, we did that over Christmas break and we we're like, uh, consulting really sucks. Why don't we try to automate this? And that's kind of the evolution. And so him and I kind of had proven that we could work together and we had worked on stuff with school, in school, and then Colin was the only one who knew how to program in our, in our uh, master's degree. So we said, well, what, let's go talk to this guy. And then we did the, the whole NDA thing, which is stupid, but we kind of, we act, no, we, we did worse than that. We did, uh, we wrote an idea down, and then we, we sealed it in an envelope and sent it to ourselves, which apparently is like legally okay, because there's a post-Canada stamp on it. And then we said, you know, we sent this idea so you can't steal it from us. And I want you to sign this NDA that I found on Google because you're not allowed to, to, to steal the idea. And then we told him. And he's like, that's it. That's what you want. That's what I had to do. And anyways, and then he's like, okay, I can try this. What do you mean, need me to do? And then we kind of built this weird prototype. Um, so I went from like Excel to automating some stuff out of GIS into a very, very first version of the product. And then those were the co-founders. And then... And then uh, a year later, we had kind of been working on it. And then it was, I, Colin had kind of a specific expertise in programming and we needed to kind of uh, license this data if, if the business model we had in mind were to work. We needed to build an API and I had never heard of what an API was. And I mean, just for context, I didn't know what founder fuel was. I didn't know what venture capital was four years ago. I didn't, I didn't understand that people would give you money like, when I found out about Finder Fuel, it was like, oh, these people will give you $50,000 to work on an idea you have? That sounds awesome. Um, let's do that. Um, like, it was, we, we didn't know what to start. We didn't know there was a tech community in Montreal. We were urban planners. So, like, we had no technical know-how. And then we met Alex through, I was living at my sister's house back then because I didn't have a job because I was working on this startup. And Alex was friends with my sister. And so, he would come to her house and then we would talk about the project I was working on, and he was really into it. And I'm like, well, we need somebody to code, and this guy seems to know what an API is, so why don't we bring him on board and help us out? And then, so that's, he was the fourth co-founder. And then he worked for free on it for how many months? Like six months or something before we started paying ourselves, or more than that? And then it was just like, okay, you're a co-founder, and that's how it worked. And, and we're very lucky because we're still all around and we get along really well and things progressed and we're able to scale with the business, but like it was really organic. So I don't have an answer to how do you find a co-founder because that's what happened to me. Yeah. And I have one last point before we really dive into the business yeah. is you mentioned you had a few side projects, you were a student at McGill 
and everyone always wonders how did you manage it all? Yeah, so we had, so yeah, we did a, we, we did Damayada, which was the consulting firm. Then we had a few contracts that turned in, I'd like to say it kind of turned into local logic, but then we were, so we, we had finished our master's degree. I actually, I never finished, but the other two finished, and then I was kind of, I was done with it. I wasn't going to work on it because I was committing full time to local logic. But then to pay rent or to pay expenses in my case, there was, we worked at a consulting firm um, doing uh, basically uh, PR work, PR and, and PA work. Um, and then so we we're doing that part time and then doing that like nights and evenings and then working on local logic the rest of the time. But we were doing like 100 hour weeks for at least a year just trying to get everything to work together. Um, and then, yeah, we did other gigs. Like, we, we would um, take geospatial data and then sell it to companies that needed it. We did work with Bixie. We did work with the city of Montreal. We did work with kind of these weird side jobs just to get money and kind of bootstrap our way to a, a first product. Yeah, so that's, that's a, a good segue to my next point, which was, you know, you mentioned early prototypes, and so that's when you guys are kicking off this project. So, you know, how did you kind of convince, you know, your, your early clients, hey, we have a value prop, when you have very little resources and you're trying to build like an MVP, people mentioned minimum viable products. Yeah. So how did it look like? What was those really early days, but it's starting to look like a business? Yeah, um, so the first market validation we had, so... Maybe just a quick summary of what we do. Essentially, what we're doing is we're, we're, we're leveraging geospatial data, so data on cities, and we're combining those data sets um, that initially we were getting from public data sets and, and then kind of bringing value to that data and then licensing it to companies um, once we kind of created value out of that data. So insights, generated insights out of that raw data. Um, and then the first paying client we had was Bixie. Um, and it was just pitching our ability to do that at scale for them. And the problem that they had was that they wanted to expand their, their uh, stations across the city. And then they wanted to say, well, where should we put these new stations? Um, so we did a kind of a regression analysis using our data saying, well, what are the best performing stations? Where are they? Um, what's around that station? Um, and then where else in the city are similar environments that we believe could have the same impact in terms of ridership. Um, and then we sold that. And then we met with uh, Yellow Pages. Um, so somebody Yellow Pages. And then we kind of pitched them the idea that we had all this data on neighborhoods. Um, and they were looking to automate um, content creation for their landing pages. Um, so he saw something in our data that we hadn't seen. Um, and he said, this is really interesting. Why don't you come and pitch to my product people? And so we did that. Then they fired everyone at Yellow Pages. So we lost, like all our emails bounced. And like we couldn't get in touch with anybody there anymore. And so it took us another six months to kind of get back, or three months to get back into it. And then we, we essentially made the first sale. And that sale was, there was no money involved. It was just a data swap. So we would, um, we would swap data. Um, so we would get access to some proprietary data from YP and they would get access to our database. And then from there, we had kind of all the pieces of the puzzle we needed to do our first MVP in real estate. Um, and it was through some event that we met the, the folks from Centris. Um, so I, think, I forget where, I think it was, it was Startup Fest. We met them randomly. They were looking to meet startups. And so we pitched them what we were doing and um, the president of Centris was there and really liked it. And then we ended up um, selling to them 
a few months later, and that was our first deal. So we went from zero revenue to substantial, substantial revenue, and it was, a, it was an enterprise sale. Um, and it was, it was, it's still a, a notable client today. Um, so it was a really big sale, and they were like, okay, we, we, we're onto something. There's value that we can create. But honestly, we didn't know before then if, if it was valuable at all. And so with that first revenue, I imagine came more responsibilities, maybe potentially like scaling the team. Yeah. So what was going on? You know, like we always say it's, it's kind of like a big gap between like just an idea with no revenue and then mm -hmm. getting like your first client closed. What was going in your mind and what were like really the next steps as this client closed? Yeah, but I mean like. So to be fair, there was there was a round of financing there as well before the first client. So we actually financed, or we had our first round before the first sale, um, but then we were able to recruit people that made a huge impact in our business. So our first employee was Amanda, who was now our COO. Amanda came from Breather, and she had uh, she was director of finance at Breather, and she had founded one or one startup before, and kind of had been through this process a few times. And it just so happens that she had done an undergrad or something in urban planning. So she was really interested about the team and kind of the idea and the philosophy and the vision for the business and was really like, this is awesome. I could do my startup thing, my finance thing, and my urban planning passion, and it all kind of merged together. So she came in, and, and she kind of helped us raise that first round and kind of give legitimacy to our, to our, uh, our business. And, um, and the, so through the first funding round, we raised a pre-seed round. It was $100,000, and we raised um, that money from... Interaction Ventures, Inovia, and Yellow Pages. So when Yellow Pages did that deal, they actually invested in the business, which gave us access to their office space. So it was like, okay, we're a real business. We have office. We now meet in meeting rooms and not in Gab's kitchen. Um, and this is awesome. And we felt like we had more legitimacy. And, that, and then we made the first sale. And then we figured out, okay, is this a one-time thing or not? Can we actually sell to this customer profile or not? Um, and developed kind of that market traction to where we are today. Um, but we weren't even sure if real estate was the industry we wanted to go in at that point. The first thing that came to mind, for like from my understanding, you were having all these meetings and you know you started working with just Bixie and just playing, I guess, playing around with geospatial data. And it seems like that's when you start shaping the vision of the company and really starting to define the business and you know the business model. So. Can you maybe talk a bit more about like what's the vision today yep. and what, what are you looking to achieve? Yeah, so the vision today is the same it was day one. And our objective is to have an impact on the way that cities are used and developed to better represent the needs of citizens. Now, um, the first vertical we decided to do that in is real estate. And the reason why is because we felt like it was the easiest um, that we could, um, it's the easiest access for our data for consumers. Um, but the reality is that you know, we were, there's a bunch of pivots before we got to that point. We tried travel, we had a whole different name, we had built a platform, there was all this stuff that we did and it didn't work out. Um, but real estate seemed like the right industry. Um, but the vision is always to say, well, real estate is the first step. And it's important because by distributing our data to these websites, we're understanding users and how they value different characteristics of the city. And with that insight, we're able to leverage that to create products to help them make better decisions in a variety of different industries. So yes, in real estate, but also in travel, in um, transportation um, planning, in, in urban planning, um, in financial decisions, so with investing in real estate, um, financial institutions. So there's a bunch of different markets that we want to penetrate. And the decision to penetrate or not a market is always about 
Are we going to be able to get data that's interesting for our understanding of cities? And then can we create insight and value to users in that industry and solve a real problem? So our vision today is to own the real estate market, continue solving the problem that we're solving today, but also think about other ways that our unique perspective on cities could be leveraged to solve other problems and other verticals across different geographies. And I want to ask about, you know, there's today, so you, you talked more about what you guys are doing today, and we touched a bit about how it started in 2014, around 2014, and so that's three years earlier. I'm assuming many challenges along the way. So can you speak about maybe some fail, even failures yeah, and some of sure. the challenges you faced? Yeah, so the one that comes to mind is the one I was referring to before when we were testing other verticals. Um, when we first launched, we were, so our company is called Next Move Inc., Entreprise Next Move Inc. So it's really the worst name. It's N-E-X-M-O-O-V, um, which is horrible. And then, so what we were doing is we were aggregating all vacation rentals in Montreal. So like uh, uh, Airbnb, uh, Nine Flats, all of those. And then it was kind of a, uh, Sp uh, Songza experience. So it's like, oh, you're coming to Montreal for the Jazz Fest and you want to be close to transit on a quiet street with good access to restaurants and bars. And so you would click through that experience and then we would kind of curate um, vacation rentals that responded to those criteria, which was an interesting concept. Um, and then we ended up applying to Y Combinator. Um, we flew down there, interviewed with them. We were like really pumped. Um, and then they didn't select us, but we're like, it doesn't matter. We're just too early. And then we realized, like, okay, we're competing with Airbnb, with Nine Flats, with Expedia. We're data people that have a specialty in urban planning. We really have no idea about this whole e-commerce thing. Um, this seems like a bad idea, and no one wants to give us money at this point. And we're kind of like, this is the end. What do we do? Um, so that was really tough because it was months of work invested. We kind of put ourselves out there and it was rejection for like a full year of like getting no's on a weekly basis, be it through accelerator programs or through um, investors or through clients and just not being able to get users to use the solution. I think our peak was like a thousand people in a month that visited our site. And also, the business model didn't make sense because you would only get referrals on certain sites, but Airbnb was the main one, and you couldn't get referral money from them. So that was really tough, and I think it, it took a toll because we were, still this, we were still ambivalent whether or not we really wanted to do this. And it was always one of the three of us at that point, because Alex hadn't joined, was like, I don't know if this is a good idea. I don't think this is, I think we're wasting our time. We would have a hard meeting, and they're like, this is, this is, this is it we're done, why are we wasting our time on this? And I think the importance of having um, people around you um, to support you, it was, it was really, really, really crucial to our survival because one of us was always like, no, it's fine, it's okay, forget this person, they don't know what they're talking about. We have another meeting next week, let's focus on that, let's work. I mean, I remember being in San Francisco um, after Y Combinator and then they called us, the t or they sent us an email, and it was Sam Altman from Y Combinator that sent us an email saying, like, we really, really love your team. I never put three reallys, but, you know, we don't think the market's good. And then I'm like, okay, screw this. I, don't, I never want to do this again. And then Gab was like, no, no, let's go, let's go work on this. Um, you know, we, we had two extra days. Like, let's go to a coffee shop and just work. Like, I don't care about visiting the city. I don't care about anything. Let's just work. Let's prove these people wrong. Um, and then we did, and then we kind of pivoted the business, and we kept, we kept going, and then it turned into something that was much more aligned with our strengths, which was essentially 
let's use the data to create this that we use to create this experience, and let's leverage it in a different business model that has that plays to our strengths, that solves our real problem, but that doesn't demand that we build the next big platform. Yes, I, I, that's what I wanted to ask because everyone says you you know as an entrepreneur you get no and a no and a no again and again, and so you, you kind of mentioned already, and I read somewhere that the fact that you guys were four co-founders and and kind of already a big team, everything's relative, but a big team, when someone was really down, you can rely on the others. Yeah. And so, so you kind of touched that, so now I want to ask, what was the real validation? And was it like a key metric, or that really made you guys say, this is real business, and now, like, no more doubts? Or is, um, it, is there still I, like I, I don't think, I'm not sure this is still a real business. No, I'm, I'm kidding. But I mean, I think, I think it's, no, it's, you always, you're never going to get a moment where it's like, okay, I'm good now. Like, this is, this is, this is going to work, right? We still have, we don't know. We, we'll see what happens. But, um, yeah, like today we're on every single listing in Canada, every single, pretty much every large real estate website is using us. Um, you know, our clients love us. Um, we're expanding to the U.S. We're seeing really, really interesting traction in the U.S. Um, we're, we're working on really big deals there with the biggest websites in the world. Um, people are still to this day amazed that we could do what we're doing with such a small team. So, like, all these things. But you're still like, okay, maybe this is not the right business model. Maybe this is not the right product. Maybe this is, you know, maybe we're not, this is not the right solution for the problem that we're trying to solve. So you have that doubt. And you're always going to have that doubt. You're always going to live with that fear. But that's what makes it fun and exciting, right? And that's why I think having go good co-founders and being able to talk to each other and kind of um, be real with each other with, with regard to those, those fears and those anxieties um, is really important. And it's tough to find, but when you do, I think it, it, makes, it makes life a lot easier. And I mean, like those two, two three years of, of like constant ups and downs would not have been, we wouldn't have survived it alone, right? Last year, you raised uh, a seed round or a Series A of around $1.15 million. What did that enable you? Did it enable you to do things that you were not able to do before? Or so Yeah. So before we raised the round, we, had, we were in 10 cities in Canada. Our data was only present in 10 cities. Um, the objective of that round was to uh, add 300 cities in Canada, uh, or 300 cities in North America um, in a year and get some traction in revenue. We ended up doing 3,000 cities across the U.S. Um, in six months, so really upping our game in terms of data coverage and then um, getting to a point where we owned pretty much all of the real estate market in Canada in terms of our solution. And then we grew the team. So we were, we were five people or six people. We're now 15, so um, we grew that. And then we, we really developed kind of a presence in the market and enabled us to really learn about the industry um, and attend events and kind of have that positioning in the market, which is something that we, you know, we hadn't invested in before. We hadn't done any marketing, um, any real sales effort other than one person. Um, so it's kind of building that framework to scale um, and building that understanding of an industry that we're not from. So that was really interesting. And you start, but you started first with just Canada, right? And it was kind of the first goal was to own just the Canadian market. Yeah, the goal was to expand in Canada. Um, yeah, it was like to to get data in Canada. So one of the processes was that we have to acquire the data, then we have to manipulate that data to make our solutions available. Once they're available, we can develop that market. Um, so we wanted to expand to all of Canada to be able to deal or assign large clients. So like one of our clients, our biggest client in Canada is Realtor.ca. They're present all across Canada. We couldn't have signed them if our data wasn't uh, there. 
So it was kind of a chicken or the egg. Like to sign the big deal, you need to have the data, which means you have to invest money. Um, if you invest money, you might be able to sign them. Um, so we figured we needed that full coverage in Canada, and it's the same thing in the U.S. So now we have full coverage in Canada and the U.S., which enables us to open those markets and, and kind of develop sales efforts. But um, yeah, the objective was to do that in Canada and prove that traction in Canada. And talking about Realtor, they have like 21 million visits per month. And I read that with your solution, they have like five times more engagements. So yeah, that's so, pretty so impressive. our value prop for Realtor is, so basically what our solution looks like on a real estate site. So basically what our data is, is we quantify qualitative aspects of the city for every single address in a city. So for an address, we'll be able to tell you the types of environment that, that it's in. We'll be able to tell you the type of lifestyle that you'll be able to have. So we look at things like noise level, vibrancy, access to shops and services, access to transportation options, uh, commute time from where you are to other areas. And then we have a suite of four products that we integrate on real estate websites that go from uh, content creation. So we use our data to generate landing pages um, on neighborhoods automatically, and they're refreshed automatically. Um, so that's kind of SEO play for them to attract more traffic to their, their site, to, to rank higher on Google. Then uh, we have a few different products that's all about user experience. So the idea is that instead of choosing a home by looking just the number of bedrooms and bathrooms and the price, well, you could say, I want a two-bedroom house with this price, close to the school, with on a quiet street, with good uh, greenery or whatever it is, and then we'll curate that experience. We'll curate the, 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 the homes that are available based on that selection for the site. And then once you click on a specific property, you'll have all the information on that specific property's location characteristics on the listing. And that's all a turnkey solution that we implement on our client sites so they don't have to manage that. And so the main value props are driving more traffic, converting that traffic into leads that are higher quality than the leads they would get because we're essentially qualifying them for location characteristics. And what we're seeing is that um, we're increasing traffic substantially um, to those landing pages that have our content. Um, we're increasing the speed at which people convert um, by 3x, and then we're increasing conversion rates by up to 36%, which is huge for, uh, for a website. Um, and, and one of the challenges we're trying to figure out now is how do you quantify lead quality or score a lead for an agent? Because we believe the lead quality is higher, and that's what we're seeing. But with data laws in Canada, it's really hard to prove that um, a transaction actually happened and it was a specific user on a site. Um, but yeah, those are the value props. Yeah. So, I mean, that resonates. I mean, I'm not looking to buy a house right now, at least, at least right now, but it really resonates with me. You guys are talking about lifestyle-based data yeah. and really kind of, you know, there's like all the characteristics of a house, but then the house lives in a broader ecosystem of yeah. a neighborhood yeah. and what is happening in that neighborhood. Yeah. And so that really resonates with me. So can you, like, elaborate a bit more on, like, the importance of these characteristics that we never get access to before? and how important it is. Yeah, what we're seeing is that the trend in real estate right now and in e-commerce sites in real estate is, is focusing on lifestyle data, which is like great timing for us because um, I think a lot of these websites are struggling with creating and maintaining an experience that allows their users to really consider that lifestyle. And millennials now are one of the biggest cohorts of buyers, so, and they're really the ones that are interested in, in, in that lifestyle and what neighborhood. So what neighborhood to choose, but also where specifically in that neighborhood should I be looking for properties? So most of the, most of the time in these websites, you can select neighborhoods, but then there's still 
you know, 15, 20, 30 properties in that neighborhood. So it's really hard for you to understand um, which ones are going to offer you which lifestyle. Um, you want to be close to a specific school or you want to be on a quiet street. Um, enabling websites to filter by these characteristics is kind of the new thing. Um, and then also positioning their brand as being a lifestyle brand to attract millennials. Um, and so that's kind of the solution we're trying to package now. But more broadly, maybe on the way that we think about cities, um, we like to think of cities as ecosystems where every single element of a city will impact the lifestyle that you, or the, the, the experience that you'll have. So the width of the street, for example, is going to have an impact on the feeling you have on that street segment. So it's like these streets are really good examples where there's going to be these really tall buildings. Um, there's no greenery on the street whatsoever. It's a pretty narrow street, um, and there's these big trucks and traffic and stuff. And then now more and more there's people, but a lot of times it's empty if you come on weekends. So the feeling you have is very specific to this. What we're trying to do through data is understand what characteristics of that street are important in determining that specific experience. So we'll look at, for example, the ratio between the heights of the buildings and the width of the streets. We'll look at the percentage of the street that has uh, canopy coverage. We'll look at what businesses or what types of businesses are in that area. Um, how easy is it to get around? What are uh, noise generators around? And all of these things combined will create scores or products that enable somebody to understand that experience. And so long term, what's interesting is that if you're able to understand every single one of these elements in that ecosystem, and then one of them changes and you're able to track that change, well then you're, under, you're able to um, predict the impact it will have on all of the other elements of that ecosystem. So it becomes really, really interested in understanding how well a business is does, or why a business is doing well in a specific area, or why a specific Bixie station is performing really well um, in terms of people docking the bike, but nobody wants to take them away. Um, or why home values change, and what elements of the market and of the bill form have an impact on home values. Um, and, and so that's kind of the long-term vision of where we want our products to go. But the products we have today um, enable us to understand these patterns because um, it's not so much about the objective noise level of an area. It's about the perception of noise. It's about saying, when I'm sitting on, this, when I'm sitting on the street and I hear a train track um, and I hear um, a daycare next door, those two noises might have the same decibels. But the perception I have those two sources of noise are very, very different. And so that will have an impact on the market much more than the quantitative measure of decibels. So that's, like, that's a good point because I was going to ask, you know, data is just like a raw fact. And so you're mentioning perception. So where, where does that come into play? Like, is, that, is that in how you interpret the data or is it like when you talk to the users and, and how do you incorporate that? into your product? Yeah, it's all about interaction data that we're gathering from our clients. So um, the way that people are using or selecting scores, the way they're interacting with scores, the feedback we're getting on our scores, um, the, um, the, unique, the unique data we're capturing from users that are actually voluntarily inputting it into our solutions, all that combination of data um, enables us to understand perception pretty well. Um, and it's really interesting to see the quality of our scores go up. So we're able to track how accurately we're representing a specific area um, at scale. And this is kind of the holy grail 
if we can have this data at scale, well, suddenly we can understand patterns of how cities are used and how, um, and this is like, at, once we have a lot of users, we're able to understand exactly what types of investments we should be making in the cities and what impacts they will have um, across different geographies. So we could say, you know, the, um, what's happening in Brooklyn is very similar to what's happening in this, in this city. And so we're able to understand the impact of an investment here or, or a development here and, and link it to another geography. Um, and that's going to be possible through data. But in order to do that, we need to have representative data, and that's all about the different industries. Um, right now, we're focused on real estate, but not everybody's shopping for a home, and we understand that. So if we're able to go into travel and other consumer applications, well, suddenly we're crowdsourcing information from different types of people, which gives us a more representative sample of, of how cities are used in general. And so talking about patterns and you know, correlations, is there some insights you can share on on what you guys are seeing in the market right now, maybe spe specifically about the home buying process, what are people looking for, or what is important to them, or maybe if it's different, what is important to you? Yeah, like there's there's a bunch of really cool stuff. Like we geek out about this a lot at the office because a lot of our team is urban planner have urban planning backgrounds. But cool things like uh, in Saint Leonard, there was I don't know if you got we we actually wrote a blog post about this. But if there was a last year I think there was a um, basically the the city bylaw changed and people needed to put more greenery on their on their land, um, and they were really angry because they're saying you know I bought this house in Saint Leonard because I could do you know I had a two cars parked in my driveway and now you're telling me I can only have one car. I have to plant a tree, and this is bullshit because I'm here for that reason. So we did a quick analysis of the impact of having greenery, um, and more specifically a tree on your home value, and we found that, and I forget the number exactly, but it was a significant impact. Um, so it was like thousands of dollars increase in the value of our house by planting one tree. So it's kind of an incentive for these people to say, well, yes, not only is there a benefit to the environment, there's actually a financial benefit to you doing this. Um, another thing, like, you know, uh, if... Somebody that lives in the plateau, that's, I think it's more than two minutes away from a metro, feels like they have pretty bad access to public transit, or like an unperfect access to public transit. Whereas if you live on the South Shore and you have a bus stop that passes at least once a day, you feel like you have a perfect access to public transit. So the perception of people based on where they live is totally different on things like public transportation. So again, you, you guys are focusing, so right now just mostly I'm assuming, correct me if I'm wrong, really on the home buying process and working with brokerage firms. Uh, but it, if it's different, is there something you're really passionate about and you know, for you maybe it's like the ultimate goal? Or you, know, you mentioned working with the cities, working with architects. Yep. Do, you, do you guys have pilot projects on that? Or? Yeah, so we're working with, um, right now we're, we're, we're focusing on uh, real estate and we're staying in the real estate vertical but we're seeing how much impact we can have further down in the, or earlier in the funnel so we're working with home builders and real estate developers and trying to help them build stuff that's more representative of the needs and the demands in the market um, so we're, we're helping them draw insights from data in order to build the right thing in the right spot um, and then we're also working with so we did pilot projects there we're doing pilot projects with uh, municipal governments and provincial governments as well on transportation infrastructure and helping them plan and understand the impact of potential infrastructure improvements. We're also working with um, more in kind of the risk analysis side of real estate, so looking at value and impact of changes on value, so kind of uh, 
automated valuation modeling and things like that, but it's still very preliminary. But we're kind of trying to feel out what our next vertical is going to be and what we're going to attack. Exactly. So it makes me think you guys have potential, like different verticals you guys can attack. Is that is there a really near future next step? Or so what, what's like the, the near future next step? So maybe even medium term? Yeah, it's going to be integrated in the real estate. We're going to stay in the space and we're going to try to create synergies with our current clients that have other affiliate businesses. So it's going to be probably um, financial world, mortgage, um, things like that. And then we're also going to work in parallel with developers so on the top of the funnel, um, which have a huge, huge need for this type of data and that understanding, which they currently don't have at all. So they're investing hundreds of millions of dollars based on gut feeling, which is horrible because their investments are staying there for 100 years after they're gone. Um, so we're trying to help them better understand what people actually want, um, so what to build where. Um, and they're highly leveraged businesses that are highly, highly risky, so any kind of data to help them uh, reduce that risk is really valuable to them. So it's been really exciting, and we're working with, uh, so one project right now, we're working with um, our cool architecture firm and uh, builders and cities, and it's kind of this big, big project, so it's going to be interesting to see the results. Yeah. And so we talked about the business, and I just want to quickly touch point on you as you know a, a team member and a CEO, a leader. What's your favorite part of working in the company, or you know about your role? Yeah, well, I mean, one of the benefits of being a founder is that you get to work on your vision and kind of your business. But that's at the very early stages, and it's still true now. But I think now the biggest gratification that you have is that local logic is not us for it's the team we've built and it's not the same as it was and it doesn't exactly represent the same things but it represents something even greater and even bigger and even more interesting so it's kind of seeing that grow is super super rewarding um, and then from like a CEO perspective what's really interesting about the job is that it changes every couple of months so it's really exciting to see the new challenges that come up and it's very very difficult but um, growing as um, as an executive and growing as a leader in a business makes it really exciting um, and challenging. So I know there's a lot of like aspiring entrepreneurs here, and some even have started some projects. Do you have some tips and you know advice you want to share? Some mistakes to not do or you can prevent. Yeah, I think it's talk about your idea as soon as possible. Um, it's it's and it and it's all about um, getting getting people to help you. Um, our attitude, and we were lucky because we really didn't know anything, but our attitude is we don't know anything, please tell us how to do this. And going and asking everyone for help and getting mentorship, getting people behind you to really um, help you along the way. And I think the Montreal community is really interesting because um, it's small enough that it's pretty, pretty easy to get, um, get some good contacts pretty quickly. Um, but having that attitude of, I want to learn, and I want to, I want to, I want to get access to mentorship, and I want to, um, you know, work with these people and listen to them and actually do what they're telling me to do. Um, made our business grow, um, and we're super, super lucky to have done that. And it gets harder as you grow, but it's really important to keep that attitude as you progress. Um, and so we were able to get, you know, really amazing mentors that became investors um, and then kind of grew, grew through that and then able to get other mentors that kind of brought us more money or more investment, but also brought us expertise. And some of them work for us today. So, Cool. And 
So I mean, I know there's like plenty of resources. Even myself, I I check all the times. You know, you mentioned Founder Fuel, Startup Fest. There's Lagarde and Le Wagon. Is there like a few places you would recommend based on just your personal experience? Um, yeah, we used so we never got into Founder Fuel, but we used Founder Fuel as a way to uh, kind of uh, progress in our business. So it was pretty cool because every six months they do applications, and then you got to get your shit together to try to apply and get get funding from them. So it was kind of a really great way for us to set pace. Um, and then, um, yeah, I think we went to we went to like the all the regular startup drinks and startup fest and things like that, and kind of got to know people. Um, yeah, I think just being present, and then people get to know you, and um, yeah. Great. So, I mean, that was my last question. Again, thank you very much for being here. It was really a pleasure for me, and I think everyone else enjoyed it. So, thank you, Vincent Charles. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Wagon Live. Tune in next week for another episode. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe by hitting the subscribe button.